everyone and welcome back to the girl.gov podcast i am your host rachel and today we have lauren horner from the debt collective which is a membership-based union for debtors and allies our current economic system forces us into debt in various different areas of our lives student debt for an education a mortgage to buy a home debts for utility bills or phone bills medical care or even incarceration the debt collective believes no one should have to go into debt to meet their basic needs and are determined to create change through the power of their union Lauren is an advocate for collective healing and community building. She has experience in activism and advocating for social justice issues and community engagement and empowerment through her leadership roles. In her past roles, she has always been open to learning and gaining more knowledge and experience to serve and lead others to feel empowered to create change within their communities. Currently, as an organizer with the Debt Collective, she contributes to serving her community by advocating and pushing for the transformation of the collective through financial liberation of those held captive by their debts. Today's episode is really revolved around student debt relief and the executive order that the Debt Collective drafted for the Biden administration. So with that being said, let's get into the episode. Thank you so much for being here. We'll go ahead and get started that we have so many questions for you and we're really excited for this episode because student debt relief is like a huge topic and especially for students. Cass and I both obviously have student loans. We've gone through those processes. So it's really nice to know that there are people out there advocating for us and learn more ways to get involved. So tell us about the Debt Collective and kind of how you got involved. Yeah, so uh, again, thank you for having me. Um, My name is Lauren. I am an organizer with the Debt Collective. I am the uh, Philadelphia branch, as well as the new member organizer of the Debt Collective, both locally and nationally. And uh, we are a membership-based union uh, that's for debtors and also our allies. So you do not necessarily have to be in debt to be a member of the Debt Collective, um, but also being a supporter. And we know that um, our union itself is inspired by labor unions that we've seen. Um, And individually, as workers are at the mercy of their bosses, we look at debt the same individually debtors may be seen at the mercy of their loans or their credit standard or um, their financial history, financial capacity. But we know that is not the case, actually. We know that within building a union, within building a collective and working together, that there's collective bargaining that can be utilized. Um, And my journey to the debt collective was very interesting. I had come out of college uh, receiving my master's degree. It was a two-year program, and I had $80,000 and still have $80,000 of student loan debt just from that two-year program. I had studied international affairs, and for me, I was looking at debt through the aspect of global economics. So I was passionate about this issue, but I don't think I knew at that time the extent that it would impact my personal life and individual life until I finished school, until I started working for a small nonprofit where I wasn't getting paid nearly as much as I should have been and unable to make my payments monthly. I found myself in a cycle. Um, And actually a friend of mine at that job, we came together and decided, you know, we were thinking about reaching out to some union organizers to kind of relieve some of the issues that we were having, especially as women 
working in the nonprofit and not being paid as much as our male counterparts. And, you know, we decided to leave together and she actually had told me about the debt collective. So I looked, I applied, I'm as a community organizer with the PA debt collective with the Philadelphia branch. Um, and I came on and I found and was surrounded by a community of people who didn't think I was crazy for the issues that I was facing financially and didn't think I was crazy for not wanting to pay, not being able to pay and finding a solution outside of what the system is telling us um, itself. And in the debt collective, we, we always say to folks, you know, our alone, our debts are a burden, but together they are what make us powerful. And on top of that, um, we like to emphasize and stress that you're not alone in your situation with debt. You are not alone with the struggle of it. And you are not alone. You are not the loan that you may or may not have had to take out to get an education, to pursue higher education, to um, try and thrive in a society where there are limits, many limits set uh, for many people. So very grateful to, to be a part of this group, this awesome group. Thank you for sharing and being so open about it. And I really like how you mentioned how you didn't feel alone, like not wanting to do it the way that we're told, right? Like, oh, you need to go to college. Like, that's how you kind of like thrive in this society. And just having like the same like-minded people, I think is super beneficial because I think it's ingrained and especially like our heads growing up is like, you need to go to college to be successful. But then what happens when, like you said, like you really don't have any other options, but to take the loan out too. And then when Luke and Andrew started the debt collective. Like, did they have any idea that it would turn into what it is now? Right. Very good question. So uh, along with Luke and Andrew, we have many other co-founders and directors too. Uh, there's Astra and Laura and Hannah and Thomas and many, many others with deep roots um, in the Occupy movement. So around those days, I think the vision was there for this long-term being like the first ever debtors union in the country itself. And I think the magnitude of those wins in the very beginning, I'm not sure if anyone had foreseen that. And that really kind of started to pave the way to where we are now, expanding nationally, creating chapters and branches and different hubs of the debt collective in local areas to really spread this um, knowledge moving forward. Um, and I think it's only going to continue to grow. Yeah, I think, you know what, before Cass and I had discussed wanting to reach out to the deck collective to, to come on here, it was probably like shortly before that, that we both had kind of found out about you guys. And I really wish that I would have had that information in college or even before, because Cass and I both come from very similar families of like instilling the importance of education, which yes, I do somewhat agree, maybe because like subconsciously it has been instilled in me, but yeah, going into my master's, I didn't realize how much of a financial burden that was going to be on me. And I think I've maybe talked about this before, but the company that I was working for at the time had agreed to pay for my master's. And then part of our leadership team was fired and the company basically went back on their word. So I'm here 20 grand in debt. And like, what the hell do I do now? So having like resources like this is really important. I think, especially for younger students of before you make that financial decision, like know that you have options afterwards and you guys have like resources there, but what, what is the process of joining the union and kind of what are the 
resources, like the main ones that are offered, especially for students. Yes, thank you. And like you mentioned, I want to emphasize another point too, that this movement had started when we were really facing a deep housing um, and economic crisis. And thinking about that, the ties and connections between the housing crisis and people literally taking out a mortgage, what would equate to a mortgage to get an education. And similarly, I too wish that I had known about this um, when I was still in school. And I think it's awesome now, like we've been seeing ourselves connecting with different universities, faculty of universities who also agree with this too. And in joining the union, you have access to a number of things. Um, there are a number of benefits that you get by being a member. Um, the easiest way to join is through our website, uh, debtcollective.org. And you will have access to our membership portal, our membership hub, our community forum. You'll get to connect with other debtors and allies alike that are in several areas throughout the country that are, you know, utilizing the platform to organize, to ask questions, to learn more. So we offer education through our webinars, our trainings, videos, different books and articles that are written from our members themselves some of our founders and some of our directors, um, and different other educational resources to learn more about debt resistance generally. We also have some tools to help people dispute their debts. So we have online dispute tools to dispute debts, to win relief and take that power back from the creditors and put it into your own hands in your life. We offer local organizing through our local branches, um, and our members are encouraged to lead and to take part in their, their local communities and local actions and activities throughout the country. We also, like I mentioned, the community platform, our virtual digital space um, is a place to connect with other members from around the country, to share their stories, to discuss different strategies, find information and resources. And also the union itself offers a path, a path to change a path to transformation and takes you on a journey of, of learning and deeper realization that we can do this. We can create people-powered organizing for debt cancellation and debtor power. Also in knowing your rights as it comes to debt, we have online debt clinics that inform our debtors of their rights, walk them through the dispute processes and other online chat supports as well. And we have been rolling out different tiers of membership lately. So folks are able to join as a member on the platform um, from the website, but also rolling out our leadership programming that should be um, coming in the fall that would really give people the chance and opportunity to do some deeper organizing that would lead to direct campaigning and learning the skills that it takes to run a campaign, to lead a campaign, to create this collective bargaining power and keeping creativity in that and fun as well. Doing things like actions um, outside across the country together, getting involved in ongoing campaigns and also our debt strikes too. And how, do you happen to know how much the memberships are costing? So right now you have the option to join as a dues paying member um, and paying as much as you are able to or can afford. And you can also join as a non-dues paying member as well. Yeah. That's kind of cool that there's like both of those options for people mm -hmm. too. 
can Lauren, can you tell us some more of like the history and the accomplishments of the debt collective and what they've done, or maybe even talk about like your favorite or maybe one that, you know, has kind of inspired you too? Just the fact that this movement was born out of Occupy Wall Street, born out of a radical time in history. That right there is just so exciting to me. And then after that, uh, Strike Debt was born and the Rolling Jubilee came as another iteration of the Debt Collective in 2012. And that was really where we were honing in on student loan debt specifically. Um, and I think the reason why is because we saw that it was a major issue at the time and still is right now, but also in that it seemed like it could be an easy win, that a president like Joe Biden could literally sign off a paper and eliminate it and eradicate it. Um, now, the Rolling Jubilee, when it was launched, it became a mechanism for buying people's debts and canceling it. So through that, over $700,000 were raised from that movement. And that money was utilized to abolish more than $32 million of not only student debt, of medical debt, of payday loans, probation debts. Um, and then after that, there was a collaboration with the New Economy Project. Um, and that ensured that um, 120,000 judgmental debts, which were worth $800 million at the time, were forfeited and retired. Um, as part of a legal case, a lot of these uh, legal loopholes were found from these scenarios as well. And that led up to, I think what would be my favorite in 2015 was the first strike that was launched. And this was the Corinthian 15 strike. It was a group of 15 student debt strikers from for-profit colleges, namely the for-profit college in California called Corinthian. And they initiated an ongoing campaign that helped win changes to federal law that has affected people to this day, that people to this day's debt has been canceled because of that. And to date, it's, it's given over $2 billion in debt relief from people. So they were able to win that and able to prove within this like legal mechanism, there was an initiative called the Defense to Repayment. And this was our online debt dispute app that was built from this strike. And this was eventually replicated by the Department of Education. This campaign mobilized tens of thousands of people. It got national and international headlines and won widespread support from many lawmakers, policymakers too. Then more presently, stepping into our higher education campaign, we have put universal student debt cancellation and free college on the political map. It is something that has been talked about now a days for the first time ever. I and mean, in 2019, a lot of our members spoke alongside Bernie Sanders, alongside Omar, Alexandria Cortez, Jayapal, when they introduced the College for All legislation. And even during Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign, she committed to erasing student debt using compromise and settlement, um, which is an approach based on our legal research, the legal research done by the Debt Collective. And this authority now focuses on national policy debates that we continue today to use to try and push Biden to utilize it. Um, and then early this year, we launched our Biden Jubilee 100 campaign. 
And that is a, another iteration of the strike that happened with the Corinthian 15. But now 100 people have come together and said, we're refusing to pay our student debt in order to call on you, Joe Biden, to cancel it within your first 100 days. Um, and now we know that has not happened. It has not taken place yet. It is something that he's even run on in his campaign. He's even stated a small amount, but it has still been stated. So today we are still in this fight. We are still demanding that President Biden quit stalling and complete the executive order that is right there for him. Literally, like all I know. <laughs> Cass and I talked a lot kind of about how excited we were when the elections were happening, because I think it was really like a moment of just hoping for change. And I think as we learn and as we get older, I think it's more and more obvious that like politicians will just say anything and everything to kind of, you know, make sure that they get elected. And even though we are still happy to have the Biden administration in office right now, it's still really important to hold those people accountable because, you know, we are the reason they were elected. And it is really frustrating to know that that was something that was very heavily pushed, I think, by their campaign. And then kind of now you kind of see the stalling. And, you know, I definitely want to ask, like, what is it like? And how does the debt collective feel um, drafting an executive order for the Biden administration? But also, like, why do we think he's stalling? And does at the end of the day, does he really have the authority to cancel student debt just by signing a piece of paper? Yes. Yes, yes, and he <laughs> literally, with the flick of a pen, cancel all student loan, federal student loan debt um, mm-hmm. for those that have it uh, without Congress, because Congress has granted the Secretary of Education the authority to compromise, waive, or release its claims over student debtors decades ago. So this is something that has been created in law decades ago. Um, and literally with the flick of the pen, the now $1.8 trillion amount of federal student loans can be canceled. And we're still here today just simply demanding that he use the power that he already has to do so. It has been very frustrating. I will say it's been very frustrating that there still has been nothing done. Because like you said, you run on these campaign promises, but we all know that it's likely just so that you can get into office and more of a facade than anything. You know, it really just makes you be creative and think of ways outside of relying on these people of power to do those things for us and taking the power back into our own hands. And the more people we get to come together and say that and see it, I believe will lead us closer to that goal and to that win. Many times he has denounced or question that he even had the authority to do so. And as he continues to deny, more and more people are accruing this debt. We are coming up on the end of the moratorium potentially in the fall, and there still has been no no movement forward. So we're going to continue to be out there. We're going to continue to use our voices and to let everyone know that this is something that can be done. And in drafting the executive order, some of our founders and directors who took part in that was very exciting for that to come out because it was like literally two pages of paper with a nice little signature line, XOXO, the debt collective. All he had to do was sign. 
And we had an action around that, like our flick of the pen campaign. And we delivered the executive order to the White House outside, got some photos of it, along with a uh, cancel student debt banner outside the White House. But we know that come fall, um, come the time when the moratorium may potentially end, we're going to uh, be escalating our actions. Yeah, you know what? There was one quote that we have found, and it, it was Biden saying, it's arguable that the president may have the executive power to forgive up to $50,000 in student debt. Well, I think that's pretty questionable. I'm unsure of that. I'd be unlikely to do that. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just, it's, I totally agree with like it being frustrating. And I think it's unfortunate that people do have the power to do this and they're just, for whatever reason, it makes you really question like, what do we not know that they do? Like, what are the actual reasons why they're not doing it? And I think through COVID, like it's obviously been a very eye-opening experiencing for everyone, but especially students of having, you know, having these huge payments to make for colleges that are now or were completely online. And I don't think it's right that they were paying on campus payments, on campus services, you know, that I think that was a huge eye-opener to like how profitable the college system is and how much they're really targeting students. And what the Debt Collective is doing is so important. I think everyone listening should definitely look more into it because I think the easiest thing you can do is kind of take back your power and make sure that these people are being held accountable for their promises. Yeah, I just graduated this May and it was such a hard transition for me, especially as like a transfer student from a community college to like a California State University and just seeing like the same tuition price, but not getting like the same benefits that I was on campus was definitely a little bit uh, hard to swallow, you know, and it was a really different experience than what I was like used to. But Lauren, what is the College for All legislation? So the College for All legislation, um, it was a legislation introduced by uh, Senator Bernie Sanders along with Rep. Jayapal. And this was introduced back in April. And it is a bill that stands to make college free and have Wall Street pay for it. There was a quote from uh, Sanders himself saying, in the wealthiest country in the history of the world, a higher education should be a right for all, not a privilege for the few. And, you know, some of what you were saying, you both were saying, just reminding me of that. No one should have to take out a mortgage to get an education one. And an education shouldn't be run like a business. It shouldn't be something that is taken for profit or financial gain. Um, And the College for All legislation, the bill itself is to help people go to school without paying for tuition, free college for all, free tuition for all. And there there are many things that we generally like about the bill um, as a debt collective, but there are some things that do need some modification. So the bill offers free four-year public college to about 75% of households and families puts the idea of higher education as a public good out into the mainstream by paying for it with a Wall Street transaction tax, which we see as a huge victory, especially having the deep roots in Occupy Wall Street. 
includes support for um, HBCUs and other specific type universities, intervenes in the exploitation of adjunct labor, blocks Pell Grants to for-profits, increases Pell Grants for expenses, and there are some good policies uh, within, especially some around the disability services personnel, bans on certain kind of expenditures that universities utilize and more. Um, now, there are some things that should be modified that the legislation doesn't account for. But overall, it is a huge victory that this has even been introduced in history as a method and mode of change and living differently in this society today. Although at the same time, it is means tested. Um, so it doesn't include households and families that are above 125K. It doesn't account enough for the lack of Black and um, people of color representation among faculty at universities, only covers undergraduate, and uh, doesn't do enough to address the existing race, class, and gender inequalities like open admissions and doesn't outright ban and eliminate for-profit schools. So we see that there is much more work to do on our end besides just full cancellation of student loan debt, pressing for free tuition for all, but more that includes just free tuition for all. There's many more fights to be fought outside of those, those realms as well. And student loan debt in general is a gender justice issue. It's a racial justice issue. It's a labor issue. There's so many complexities combined within this. And especially when it comes to gender, women hold two thirds of all student loan debt. And, you know, we want to see these things being addressed in these legislations, in these changes moving forward. You know, something that I think about kind of often, I'm totally like a supporter of college isn't for everyone. And sometimes you can find your profession and your passion outside of those options. But for me specifically, college and especially my master's like provided me with a lot of life experience and it, it provided me with like meeting new people and meeting new points of views. And you would think that our government or at least our country would want that for kids, because I think with life experience comes more knowledge and more like, you know, you're able to be more of a team builder. You're, there's so many like things that you could really learn in college that will totally benefit you down the line, especially within your career or just being a person in your community. So it really confuses me and I'm not for conspiracy theories, <laughs> but sometimes I'm like, wait a minute, like why wouldn't they want a well-rounded country or well-rounded children? And especially now, because before I feel like our, our especially mine and Cass's parents um, come from a generation of like, it was always finish high school, go straight into your career. And then they were staying at the same companies their entire lives. Like both of my parents did that. And we no longer have that option. And now just your bachelor's degree doesn't always get your resume the first one to be looked at, which is insane because it's like, you want to pay these kids $16 an hour after their bachelor's degree, or even I've seen master's being a requirement on some applications and you're only getting paid like 20, $21. And it's like, I did not spend how much money to almost have that thrown in my face when society really tells you that education is important, but those resources aren't really there. That's kind of just like my little tangent, <laughs> just something that I think about. 
I like how you really mentioned, Lauren, how schools should be moved from like a for-profit to more like public really for the community. And it's like most of us grow up in a K through 12 like education and many of us do go to like public um, schools, not necessarily like private elementary schools, middle schools, like high schools. And it's like, where does that shift change where it's like, we're nurturing you, like we're caring for you. We really want to empower these like students. And that's also me um, with my experience working with the youth for almost six years and like obtaining my bachelor's in education. And it's like, why is there that shift where it just changes? And I also really appreciate you bringing up like just the systemic racism that really is in school. And even for women, like I didn't know that it was two thirds or of women are the ones that hold the debt that's insane yes yes and even more so black women specifically carry that load heavier and I think too Cass and I are second and third generation Latinas and I think the American dream also plays a really big role in that because I feel like my mom so my mom is Mexican and I think her family really was the one who instilled like you have to get an education like this is what we came here for like you need to take advantage of everything that you can and that really does trickle down into generations but I think now people are like starting to kind of realize you know like I think Gen Z is far more progressive and amazing than <laughs> than our than our generation but I think it's it's good that we're kind of breaking those norms but not only that it's not like people don't want to get education it's that they're really not able to and you know, even for immigrant families, like they might not have the resources that they need for their kids to go to college, even though that is such a vital role in chasing that American dream. And I think, you know, I, I can totally see how that plays into systemic racism and, you know, really targeting communities of color. This is such a important time to get involved in something like this. And I know that there's so many politicians that you guys are working with. I know we talked about Bernie Sanders and AOC and Representative Omar, but are, is a debt collective like actively working to, you know, find other politicians to kind of work with and to advocate for the debt collective? Yes, uh, very good question. We are always looking to, you know, the ones in power to use their voices and use the power that they have and the positionality that they have to push us forward. Um, and that has been working for us on a local level. There are many different council members and representatives in different cities that have been able to push legislations around student loan debt cancellation, around coming out and saying that it all should be canceled, every amount of it. And we have resolutions that have been passed in Philly through the help of different council members um, in Cambridge, in DC, in Boston, um, in other places they have been introduced and still pending passing, but that those locations are in Cali, in New York, in New Jersey, in Chicago, um, and growing more and more. And we're seeing that sometimes um, aligning with folks that see that vision that also agree kind of gives us more of the attention on these issues for that and that like extra boost. But at the end of the day, we do know that the power is going to come from us and from the people. Um, and that, you know, many times, many of these politicians are in the position to keep the status quo, especially like going back to the stalling that we see in Biden currently. And we're, we're at a pivotal moment of change right now in our history 
of really pushing for these changes and like creating greater awareness around it. I mean, you both have hit it on the head as, as far as the educational system here, specifically, no other country's educational system is run like the United States. I, I feel that there's a bit more freedom and like space for creativity and space for even choosing if that's the route you want to take. But here it's like, this is what you have to do to get ahead. And oftentimes it's like the whole get ahead is like, oh, I want to get ahead of the next person to compete with them. When in reality, it really should be more of a collective experience. Education should be more of a collective experience and more of a like learning, experiential, practical knowledge gaining. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure around it, especially when you finish and you're coming out and you're like, how am I going to pay this money off? The pressure to succeed, the pressure to follow a certain path. My, my parents as well, my, my dad is retired. But my mom, she's been working with the same company for 30 years and me, see, her seeing me changing my career, my path so much, it gives them like anxiety almost to see mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But we are the ones to do that and make that change and show that, you know, you can work hard. You can still work hard and do what you want to do and do what makes you happy. Um, but there are all of these barriers and constraints in the way. Um, so, you know, really another part of our work is doing that like radical visioning and imagining after we see these wins, what type of world do we want to live in beyond that? We have to work on creating that together too. Like while we may want to, you know, eradicate and tear down all of these outdated ways of living and being, we still have to think about what is going to be on the other side so that we don't repeat those same mistakes. Because like, this is like a generational issue. Like we're seeing like back when our parents probably were in school, tuition did not cost as much, nearly as much. Um, and it's continuing to rise. Um, and as it continues to rise, that pressure continues to build and there's no balance in that. So we have to restore, we have to restore that. Yeah, I definitely think like making sure we end the cycle is really important. So like making sure that we have all of those resources um, kind of after when we end student debt, because <laughs> I'm not gonna say if, I'm gonna say when, but yeah, I think, you know, and I can totally relate of like, my parents are the same way. Like, you know, they were at the same company my entire life. Um, so when they hear like wanting to look elsewhere, like going to other companies, they're like, wait, why? Like, and I think, you know, unfortunately in today's world, especially in corporate America, like in order to get those pay raises, in order to get those promotions, you have to bounce around. And when you're young, you have time, you like, you know, you have time to figure that out. And I just hope that hopefully at some point, like if I have kids in the future, I hope that they have way more opportunities to go to school and not have that financial burden that, you know, we've all had to go through just to be told, like, you don't have enough education, you know? Yeah. What type of experience can people expect when they join the union, Lauren? And how can we, um, Rachel and I, and our listeners get more involved Mm -hmm. um, so the experience definitely is 
life-changing, mind-changing, transformational, just, you know, being a part of the different, like, educational series that we have, our political education series, and just meeting people from across the country, like, um, I'm based on the East Coast, and, like, I'll have meetings with people that are on Mountain Time or Pacific Time, and it's just crazy, even international people and people that have come here seeking an education, just connecting with so many beautiful people that are in the same struggle, no matter where they come from, no matter what their background is, no matter what their race is, no matter what their gender is, this is an issue that's plaguing all of us and feeling that community and, you know, not, not feeling so alone, I think is the major thing that I find whenever I'm doing like a new member call, people are like, wow, like, I really wish I heard about you sooner. I can't believe this even exists. I can't believe that I have a space to share my story, not be judged, mm-hmm. to come out of the debtor's closet, as we say, mm-hmm. and to talk about these issues. Money in general is something that's so taboo that we don't speak about. And these systems themselves are so misconstrued and caught up in a nasty web throughout all of our lives. And it's just so invigorating to be around people and learning this and then coming together and figuring out exciting ways to combat it. Um, So, you know, in joining the union, you have access to all of our membership benefits, paid or not paid if if you are able to. And, you know, you just join this community, this collective, where we are pushing to create change in, in society where it, where it is needed right now, today. And, you know, outside of that, connecting with people that are in your local area, we have different branch leaders in different cities, in Philly, in Cali, all throughout Cali, in um, Chicago, Massachusetts, and Vermont. Colorado, and we're just growing uh, New York. We're continuing to grow, continuing to add our leaders, continuing to build this together. Um, I think that's another experience that is exciting about joining the Debt Collective is that we're building this together. This is our union, so we decide collectively how it is run, how decisions are made, creating campaigns and strategies through taking the leadership training programming. And in, in getting folks involved and in getting our listeners more involved and in getting um, you guys more involved. Our digital presence um, is pretty heavy. We have our Instagram account, our Twitter account, our Facebook, our digital platform through our website. Um, and just plugging into any of those avenues, just seeing what we're talking about and, and sharing that in talking with friends and family about these issues and being transparent and open. And just reading the literature that we have and asking those questions that need to be asked and, and really just making yourself at home, making yourself at home in the Debt Collective space. And again, and joining the union through our website, debtcollective.org, uh, you'll be able to join as a member on there and you know join the calls that we have. Uh, we have monthly calls and meetings, updates on our campaign around the Biden Jubilee 100, updates on some actions that we'll be taking in the fall and September in D.C., um, and getting out there with us, coming out, increasing our numbers, increasing our reach in our messaging and our influence and our power as a debtors union.
And if there's anything that you want our listeners to walk away with from this episode, or if there's anything else that you would want them to know or hear, what would that be? That would be, let's not make the coming generations pay for our mistakes. Let's, let's give them the due diligence that they deserve and fight for them to thrive and live in a world where they can get an education for free, but a meaningful education that allows them to tap into their purpose, their dreams, their wishes, their hopes, their fulfillment, and giving them the freedom to do so. Thank you that was so really much, that was really well said, yeah. Lauren. Thank you. <laughs> I I feel like going into this episode, I learned a lot, and I think subconsciously I knew about all these other issues within college education, but it's really eye-opening to realize that the debt really goes hand in hand with all those other underlying issues and how there is so much more to do um, besides just like wiping out debt. This was really informative. I, I really appreciate your time and like being so open um, to and even going into your own personal kind of story as well. What do you think, Rachel? <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. And I think it is kind of interesting seeing that issues like these, if we resolve them, it really will trickle down into other issues and it'll start that healing process, which should be a reason in itself to, you know, put more pressure on our politicians and to get stuff like this done. I think it's, this is so important. And I think it's really important for, you know, young women too, to listen to this and to know that there are people out there supporting you and you do have options. And I think part of fighting the good fight is having that thought in your head, like this stuff might not get resolved during my generations, but it will for future ones. That's something that's powerful to know that, you know, you're doing this for others and not just for yourself. Yes. Thank you so much. Appreciate you both. Yeah, as as women especially, it, it's our time to take our power back. It's beyond our time. And the women who've come before us, our, our female ancestors, are definitely looking at us and helping us continue to pave that way. Totally agree. Thank you so much for coming. This Honestly, this was a great episode. I love having like short and sweet episodes like this because it's like to the point and it's just the right amount of information for people to be um, able to digest easily. So thank you so much for coming on and I hope that we all keep in contact and I can't wait to see what the Debt Collective does and I can't wait to hopefully help with that. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think all of our listeners should get involved too, if you can. So thank you again, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you so much.